recording to start. You might wonder why we are uh, talking about Zechariah as a Christmas character. He's not often in the nativity scene. He's not often in on Christmas cards, uh, but um, hopefully we'll find out today. Now, before I do that, I want you to imagine, uh, I want, um, want you to imagine that you are living in an ancient city and that the daughter of your king is a beautiful princess who has attracted suitors from countries far and wide. One such suitor is visiting today, but before he arrives, a herald comes up to the gate and announces himself. He is tall and he is handsome. He is expensively and exquisitely fashionably dressed, not just opulent, but with the, the right fashion for the right moment. And he's riding a magnificent white charger. He rides through into the city gates. He blows a trumpet and he announces with a loud, clear voice that his, uh, his Lord is but an hour away. He then rides on through the city, stopping at every large square and every large gathering, proceeding to give the same message and then proceeding on to the palace. An hour later, a great procession appears and makes its way through the city. Now, if you've seen Aladdin, you can think of a, a procession like that. Song Prince Ali, you've probably got it in your head now. It seems to go on for ages, but after what seems like an age, there appears the Lord. And it turns out to be this pudgy, white, pale-faced little boy. Bit of a letdown, isn't it? Bit of a disappointment. The herald is supposed to be a sign of things to come. Being handsome and well-dressed and all of the other accoutrements, you would expect that the Lord would be of the same quality, if not more so. The herald is supposed to represent the Lord and give uh, us an impression of things to come. The opposite is, I mean, the, the, this is also true of the Olympic pro uh, processions. We've had the Olympics this year. And I remember when uh, we had the Olympics in London 2012. And in fact, one of the processions is something that I, I like to, to put on uh, while I do something else, because it does go on for a while. But the opening ceremony is nice, isn't it? But if you watch the procession, you see that there are in each country, there are two main people. One of them is cho chosen to, uh, to carry the flag, the banner bearer. It's usually one of the bright upcoming stars, someone who has a potential for a medal if not a gold medal, and they've been chosen with a clean track record. No controversies to mar their choice, and their future is bright. This could be a potential leader in the future. But then comes among the rest of the athletes, you get the captain. And they're surrounded by their best athletes, but they themselves are a shining star. They are the one with the most potential 
for a gold medal. They are the one who has already probably won a gold medal. They're the one who have been to a couple of Olympics before, and they're the experienced hand who can help calm the team, give good advice. They are the person who represents the sport for that country. It is they who set the example. So in this instance, the flag bearer foreshadows the captain, but has not quite reached that place yet. So why am I telling you this? Well, today, and this might be shocking to some, I am not going to concentrate on Jesus. Considering uh, this sermon kicks off a series about the characters of Christmas, that's probably a little bit surprising. No, I'm not even going to be talking about the man who points to Jesus, that is John the Baptist. I will talk about him a little bit, but that's not the main focus of this, uh, this sermon. I'm actually talking about Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's father. So in some senses, I'm going to be talking about the man who points to the man who points to the man. Oh, no, points to Jesus. Okay, so the man who points to the man who points to Jesus. Zechariah is the herald for the herald. Well, not quite, but we'll get there. So let's read the passage. Uh, let me bring it up. We are in one uh, Luke chapter 1. Uh, and we should be, you know, those who have been in the church the last year or two have be, should be familiar with this uh, because we studied Luke in our Bible studies last year. So we're going to read from verse 1 to 25. Inasmuch as many have taken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning, uh, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. It seems to me, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning all things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, King of Judas, uh, sorry, Judea, uh, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he, he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on his right uh, on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call him his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. 
and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the uh, and the disobedient of uh, disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord uh, for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, uh, the angel, "How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years." And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the, the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my, my reproach among people. Let me pray. Father, as we come before your word, we pray that you are filling us with your spirit to un, unlock the secrets of what you have to tell us here. Help us to look to you, to humble ourselves and to learn from your word. We pray that you mold us and change us, you break us and you make us into something that will witness for your glory. We pray that as we come up towards Christmas, we can continue to look to your son, Jesus, who you sent to die for our sins. In Jesus name. Amen. Now, we studied Luke's gospel. Let's just stop this for a minute. We studied Luke's gospel last year, and you can see that the common theme that runs throughout Luke is that he takes care, great care, to include as much eyewitness detail as he can. It is this eye, uh, eye for detail that makes historians value the gospel of Luke so much and has convinced many to believe. He records the date for the, the king, uh, Herod, and in this case, and also the events. He has undoubtedly uh, interviewed Zechariah and Elizabeth if they are still alive, but if not, then close friends of theirs. Now, whenever we read the Gospels, we also have to uh, understand or uh, look at them through the eyes of the, um, the Jewish first Jewish readers and look for any biblical or, uh, or, uh, or even Jewish uh, writing. We, we need to be aware of the, the cultural symbolism, the biblical symbolism, the Old Testament symbolism. And Luke takes great 
pains inspired by the Spirit to start with Zechariah, which seems like a surprise. You might, with like the other Gospels, start with Jesus or start with Joseph and Mary. But I want you to see a picture this. We very quickly move on from whoever's king. We don't really care about him. There are just a few words written about him. To the temple, the heart of the Jewish nation. Now, apparently, there were about 18,000 priests who were eligible to do this offering. So Zechariah is chosen out of these uh, 18,000. Yes, his particular group, uh, uh, yeah, uh, the Abijah uh, group, has been chosen in this rotation. But of all of those priests, he has been chosen. And once they are chosen, then they are never chosen again. So this is the pinnacle of Zechariah's life. It is the highlight of his life's work as a priest. And you can see that the crowds of the faithful are waiting outside for him to perform his duty. We actually start with the backstory of this uniquely chosen priest. So we don't actually zoom into the, the temple. We actually zoom into the, this, uh, this man's life. Verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he and his wife from the, uh, sorry, uh, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, her, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. I wonder whether you noticed all of the symbolism there. Elizabeth herself comes from the line of Aaron. She comes from a very noble bloodline. And then it goes on to describe both of them as righteous before God, walking blamelessly. Not only this, but Elizabeth is barren and both of them are too old to bear children. If you are a Jewish reader, now, even those of you who have been kind of uh, know a little bit about your Bible, hopefully it should be triggering the imagery of what's going on here. What is Luke trying to get at with this description? Well, it's very clearly an imagery of Abraham and Sarah, isn't it? The start of the Jewish nation. Abraham and Sarah walked blamelessly before God. They, Abraham was righteous in the eyes of God. Sarah was uh, was barren and well beyond her years to give birth. This is going to be a very special son. And this is going to be a new start for the people of God. And the name itself, Zechariah, <coughs> is laden with symbolism. Not only is it the name of one of the prophets, but it means... The Lord has remembered. Israel at this point is under Roman rule after having been conquered uh, time and time again, or rather the, the uh, kind of 
um, the rulership of Israel and the lands has been passed from warring nation to warring nation until finally the Romans are occupying Israel. And the prophets have been silent for 400 years. This is a time of fresh start for the people. We see the multitudes outside the temple praying for God to intervene. This is a time when he will bring about his great salvation as promised and that he will remember his people. Now, as Zechariah, the, this Abrahamic figure, enters the temple to offer incense, and we have this great crowd of people looking on and waiting, an angel appears to him, like an angel appears to Abraham and, uh, and Elizabeth, uh, Sarah, and an angel appears to Moses, and an angel appears so many times in the Old Testament to the major figures. Like Abraham, Zechariah does not truly believe and is punished for this. We see later on that Zechariah truly does believe and praises the God and gives God all the glory. From this exchange, we realize how amazing this son truly is going to be. Let me just share this again. Starting from verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered. Sorry, your prayer has been heard. So I, I, I think it's a, a slightly comical that uh, in this greatest day of his life, this, this, uh, this godly man is in the temple doing his most sacred duty of all days of the year. And he's praying for a, a child and he's praying for his family. He's also probably praying for the nation. And John, his son, John, is going to be an answer for that. But we, we can understand the great anguish that it must have been to Elizabeth and Zechariah that they didn't have a child. But God hears and God remembers and God honors those who are glorifying him. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call him his name John. And you will ha have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink, drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their ch the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, I have talked about this in many sermons before, but in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon kings and coming upon prophets when they were anointed or when they were kind of prophesying or for other short intervals. It talks about the spirit coming upon them in a certain circumstance. But we see now the first of many that have been prophesied. There is something astounding going on here. John will be filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 15, we can see. 
John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This is a first in all of history. That this man will be, uh, will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb and all through his life. This is a sign of things to come. The mark of the Spirit. And Elijah represents the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. So great that he was brought up to heaven in a fiery char chariot. He didn't die. Now, let's be clear that uh, John is not a reincarnated Elijah. Uh, as he's asked about, we see in John's gospel, he's not Elijah, but he is an Elijah figure. We see here, even here, it says in the spirit and power of Elijah. Remind, you know, uh, reminding God's people, remember that Elijah was a figure to remind God's people to turn from their wicked ways. He stood alone and often persecuted, which again gives a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to John. And we know that John will be a great herald, making ready before the Lord a people prepared. He is preparing the path for Jesus. So you can see that again, that right from the start of Luke's gospel, he is firstly establishing the pedigree, not of Jesus, but of his herald, John. What are his credentials? He comes from an impeccable lineage, a godly priest and the line of Aaron. Born into circumstances that mirror that of Abraham and Sarah and of so many barren women through that God has uh, looked upon and had mercy upon through the Bible, through the Old Testament. We see the, the mother of Samson. We see the mother of Samuel. We see so many mothers who have prayed and cried out to God. Rachel in her, her barrenness, not having children, crying out to God, saying, asking for children, and God answers. And so John is the born into this, uh, this lineage. Prophesied in the temple by an angel into the time when people may have been considering God to have forgotten about them. These are the fine clothes, the handsome features, the great white stallion of this herald. These are the signs that this is going to be a great man who announces the arrival of the king. In my quiet time this week, I, I, it said, as parents, if the only way to get your children excited about Christmas is material things, then you have failed. I look around and yeah, it's nice that now it's December. We have the decorations. Thankfully, in September, October, November, I didn't really go into the malls much. And so I didn't get the blaring Christmas music and all of the you know, opulent decorations. But when it comes to December, I do get 
into the spirit of things. I get a bit grumpy before then, especially in England when it gets cold and miserable and wet and dark. But when it comes to December, the Christmas lights start to make, yeah, have meaning for me. And where everyone is starting to try and put on this face, a cheerful face, especially coming up to the tired end of the term, I do get in to try and get into the spirit, uh, yeah, Christmas spirit. But if material things are all that it takes, if that's the only thing that gets you excited about Christmas, then you have failed. If this story wasn't true, then it would be an incredibly masterful way to build up the story. I've been writing, uh, starting to do some creative writing of my own in the last year or two. Storytelling. I love doing it. It's you know, weaving a story, putting in those foreshadowing markers as to what's coming. Giving, you know, rather than just stating somebody's character, giving those little hints as to what their character really is and their backstory without explicitly explaining it. As I was studying this passage, I was half thinking, I can't wait to hear what happens next. Who is this man who is coming? And then who is he heralding? Right? But, but we know the answer to this, don't we? We know the Christmas story. We know what happens next. We know Jesus. And we know the king. This king who is nothing like what the people expect. There is such a contrast between John's birth and Jesus's birth. He would be like the letdown of that pasty-faced young child who comes after the amazingly handsome, uh, uh, yeah, well-dressed herald. But that's because we expect something to suit our needs. Israel expected somebody to overthrow the Romans, to deal with all the problems that surrounded them. Poverty, social injustice. What, you know, what are our problems now? If Jesus came now, I'm sure that people would be out on the placards and it would say, Jesus, stop global warming. Or Jesus, stop internet trolls. He doesn't deal with that. He hasn't come to deal with that. He has instead come to have an impact on the life of every Christian who has ever lived and ever will live. This time, the herald is impressive in his pedigree, in the prophecies, in the way that he was bought. Uh, so born. Not bought. Not a dog. Um, but he doesn't have a patch on the king, does he? As Luke builds tension by introducing Zechariah and then John, and he builds anticipation. What do we get? We get something that so exceeds their expectation, the Jewish people's expectation, and our expectation that it blows their minds. The Jewish people cannot comprehend him. And so probably are, you know, you know, in some ways angry about this. We see that when they come face to face with Jesus because they don't, he doesn't ex you know, meet their expectations and they are angry. 
He doesn't come to deal with Romans. He doesn't come to deal with unjust rule or poverty or social inequality or the hundred of other problems that they and we have. He comes to deal with sin. All of our sin, the thing that is stopping us having a relationship with the creator God. With all sin, with our sin, and with my sin. And he comes to deal with death itself. See, the story of Zechariah establishes just how special John is. But no matter how special the herald is, he is still just a man. The king is even greater. It's December. Christmas is coming. The king is coming. Let's get excited about that. The king is coming. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that Luke has recorded all these things faithfully, but also that your spirit has inspired such a story, such a true story that points to the greatness of Jesus. Lord, let us take heed and learn how great you are, continuing to learn more and more how great you are. Lord, let us get excited about Christmas and the coming of Jesus so that we can't help but to share it with others. Lord, we pray for the service next week that news can go out and we can be flooded, Lord, with people. Lord, we pray for those who are yet to hear your word that they can Upon hearing your word and about your son, Jesus, and the great thing that he has done, get excited about that. Lord, we pray that many can find faith in you, a relationship with you this Christmas. That we can look to you and love you more and long for the day when you return. In Jesus' name, amen.